0: from John chapter 1 verses 29 through 34. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God.
1: So good to see each one of you here this morning. Appreciate the worship that's been offered so far and hope it is that you'll keep your mind and your heart engaged, certainly in what's, what's to come, uh, speaking specifically about the lesson. We have centered our theme for 2019 around I am a sheep and the Lord is my shepherd. And it's hard to believe that there's only a handful of Sundays, three, I guess, including this one, that are left in the year uh, before it is that we usher in a brand new year. But it is that we want to finish out the way we began, and that is centering on being a sheep and centering on, certainly, as we close out the year, the Lamb of God. I'm going to encourage you, and yes, even insist if I can, that you each grab a copy of the Bible if you don't have one in front of you, or if you can't see one per se, uh, maybe to look on with your neighbor if you're going to get the most out of this lesson this morning, as, uh, well, I guess with every lesson goes. But I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, we're going to do a thematic study this morning, and I'm going to ask you to turn to 10 separate passages to talk about the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You see, God didn't express himself in such a way that right at the downbeat of Genesis chapter one, verse one, he said, this is exactly what's going to happen. This is exactly the way that I'm going to reveal myself. This is exactly what man's going to do. And this is exactly how I'm going to redeem mankind from the problem of sin and death. Instead, what God chose to do was use what we call progressive revelation. That is, you learn some things as you go along about the nature of God and about the nature of his salvation. And I'd like to actually begin in Genesis chapter 3 this morning in looking at the problem that God wanted to solve and the problem that God was working to solve all the way back from Genesis chapter 3. You note that in Genesis chapter 3, you have Adam and Eve there in the garden. They're in a right relationship with God, and yet because of the temptation of the serpent, Eve took of the fruit of the tree which God had said, Don't eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die, Genesis 2, verses 15 and 16. And instead of obeying that command, Eve took of that fruit, she ate of it, and then she gave to her husband with her, who ate also. At that point, there was a division that was brought in. There was a separation that occurred between man and between God. There was now a a hindrance to that relationship because of mankind's transgression, because of his sin. And so all the way from Genesis chapter 3, where this occurs, until the very last time, whenever it is that God's solution is offered, we find revealed for us the way that God was going to deal with sin and with death. And I will be a spoiler alert, give you a spoiler alert, that this is how He did it. Through the sacrifice of the Lamb. Through the sacrifice of the Lamb. So church, just so I know you've got it this morning. How did God deal with the problem of sin and death? Say it with me. Through the sacrifice of the Lamb. One more time. How did God deal with the problem of sin and death? Through the sacrifice of the Lamb. I want to draw your attention to ten separate passages about God and this progressive revelation of how he dealt with the problem of sin and death. The first one is just a page over in Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve, through the course of time, had two sons, one by the name of Cain, one by the name of Abel. And as these young men grew, and as they obviously became productive citizens, as it were, of the world at that time, it was that Genesis chapter 3 and 4, or Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, talk about Abel and Cain bringing their sacrifices. And Abel offers the first of his flocks. What does that indicate? That there's a lamb involved. Cain offers of the first of his crops. The Bible says that at the end of verse 4, God respected Abel and he rejected Cain. Now the question becomes, how did God, on what basis did God reject reject Cain and accept Abel? Two passages I want you to write down as far as the margin goes, or at least on your study sheet. As we read in God's progressive revelation, we come across a passage such as Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. You remember the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It said, Abel, by faith, offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. And so there's faith involved in what God told about Cain and Abel about the sacrifices. I connect Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 to this passage, and also one more, Romans 10 and verse 17. Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Even though we have no written revelation of what God said to Cain and Abel about the sacrifices. The Bible tells us Cain or Abel offered by faith something that was acceptable to God, a flock, one of the flock, one of the lambs. And Cain didn't. And so what's the lesson we learn about this? Brothers and sisters, there's an offering that must be made for sin, and it must be made by faith. There has to be some record of what God has said in order for it to be faith. It has to be some kind of revelation of what God wants in order for it to be faith. And for God to deal with a sacrifice for sin, there has to be an offering that's made by faith. You track it so far. Passage number two, flip over to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 And we're going to look at verses 6 and 7 as God continues his progressive revelation and dealing with the problem of sin and death and just so I know that you haven't forgotten church how did he deal with the problem of sin and death through the sacrifice of the lamb exactly right as God continues this he begins to work through one man a man by the name of Abram who is 75 years old didn't have any children at all and God, over the next 25 years, changes his name, re- reaffirms his promise and his covenant and his, his oath that he swears by himself, God does. And as as God gives these, this elderly couple a brand new bouncing baby boy, they name him Laughter because, well, <laughs> God had the last laugh in Abraham and Sarah's life. There were several times that they didn't think that he could bring it about. But now it is that here they hold in their hands the future The one who's going through his seed is going to deal with the problem of sin and death. And note, God commands in Genesis 22, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, your son Isaac, and I want you to take him three days journey and offer him on a mountain of which I'll show you. Abraham doesn't waste any time. He gets up and he takes Isaac, his son, and they go three days journey. And it is that when he sees the mountain of which he's going to sacrifice his son, he lays on his son the wood, he takes the knife, and he takes the fire, and he goes. And note what Isaac's question is there in verses 6 and 7. Isaac says, my father, he says, here am I. He says, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, but where's the lamb? What does Abraham respond in this context? Abraham says, my son, God will provide. We know from the count that God did provide the sacrifice for that, didn't he? He provided that ram that was caught in the thicket, and Abraham offered that ram instead of his son. But that certainly draws our minds, and, and Abraham, for being as commended for not withholding his son, his only son, down in verse 14, draws our minds to a passage like Romans chapter 8, verse 32, where it says, he did, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with us freely give us all things? You see, that sacrifice that had to be made by faith was the one that God would ultimately make and God himself would provide. Is there any doubt that if God were going to give us his only son, that he'll provide for us the things that we need? Passage number three, you staying with me? Turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. A lot happens in between Genesis 22 and Exodus 12, 12 through 13. But here is Israel about to escape from Egypt. And it's not just them, Pharaoh, letting them go, but Pharaoh driving them out saying, get out of here. And it is that God has brought about nine other plagues before this one. And as God prepares his people for this one, you remember what he said. Here's what's going to happen. Moses says, God's going to pass through. Death is going to pass through all of the land of Egypt. All the land of Egypt. Egypt. There's going to be none spared. All firstborn are going to die in the land of Egypt. However, verses 12 and 13 talk about an escape, if you will, from sin and death. An escape from God passing over, escape from God's wrath coming down upon Egypt. And it is, is, verse 12 and 13, that there is to be blood of the Lamb. And what you're going to do is you're going to kill this lamb, you're going to take the blood, and you're going to paint it on your doorposts. And so it is that when God passes through the land, when it comes time for all the firstborn to die, God is going to pass over the house of those people that are there in that house that are covered by the blood of that lamb. And so what do we learn from this passage? When God provides that lamb, when God gives his command for Israel to do this, death is going to pass over. Cross-reference this with 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7, where it says that Jesus Christ is our passover. The sacrifice he made is what uh, enables God or uh, enables us to be safe whenever God brings forth sin and death, whenever it is, or whenever God brings forth judgment upon the, the earth, so to speak. And so it is, when God provides the lamb, death is going to pass over. Passage number four. Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. Leviticus simply means pertaining to the Levites. This is how to offer acceptable sacrifices. These are what sacrifices are acceptable. This is how the children of Israel are to conduct themselves, especially in moral and civil and religious matters. And note, as the book of Leviticus opens, there is an immediate emphasis on the lamb. When you come, verses 3 and 4, and offer a sacrifice, fuck, he's going to give very specific requirements about this. He says, You're going to offer that lamb that is. Spotless, that is, without blemish. Sick and lame sacrifices were never to be offered to God. The ones that were imperfect were never to be offered unto God. And if I think about myself and I think about all of us, that kind of excludes the possibility of self salvation, of self sacrifice, because it is that I can't, I don't have the moral integrity to save myself. Romans 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all lack the mental character and the mental ingenuity. We're blemished. We're sane. We cannot save ourselves. And so what I learned from this passage is the lamb that's to be offered, the lamb that God's going to provide by faith, that lamb that we so desperately need is one that has to be spotless and without blemish. Cross-reference here, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 to 25. Speaking of Jesus, it said, Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that he, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Still the picture of the lamb without blemish is the one that makes atonement. Passage number five. We're moving forward in time. Isaiah chapter 53, please. Isaiah chapter 53. It's fascinating to me that 700, 700 to 800 years before Jesus ever walked on the earth, you have a picture in Isaiah 53, and it's teaching us all about the Lamb. And what I want you to notice from this passage is this simple idea. The Lamb is a person. The offering for sin that God's going to make, the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world, it is a person. He When you look through Isaiah 53, the word he, the personal pronoun he, is used 50 times in 12 verses. A person would be the one who would bear the sin and who would become a scapegoat for us so that we could escape. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 12, he was numbered with transgressors. He bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Here is the person, here is the lamb that provides a solution to sin and to death for each one of us fascinating to me to see the journey that we've just taken in five points, five chapters from the Bible, from the absolute saddest chapter in the entire Bible where sin and death enter in to understanding what God brings about in the hope in the land. Next passage from the New Testament, passage from Kenny that Kenny read just for a moment ago, John chapter one, verse 29. We're out of the Old Testament into the new. Let's review just for a moment. Number one. There has to be a lamb that's a sacrifice made by faith. Second one is that lamb is going to be provided by God. That lamb, whenever that lamb is sacrificed, death is going to pass over. That lamb has to be without spot and without blemish. And that lamb is a person. Here's the beauty of the gospel. And John Chapter 1, verse 29, John sees his disciples following, and the next day when he looks, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1, verse 29, what the gospel accounts herald to each one of us and to the people of that day is the Lamb, the sacrifice, the one that God is going to provide so by faith you can be free so that death can pass over, so God can finally deal with the problem all the way back from Genesis chapter 3, he's here. He's the one you need to listen to. He's the one that you need to pay attention to. Behold the Lamb of God. Fix your eyes firmly on Him. Don't let your gaze falter from Him because this is the one who has the power and who will deal with sin and death. Next passage. We're in the book of Acts, the book of history in the church. Chapter 8, verses 29 through 39. The Lamb of God is here the one humanity has been waiting on is here. When you find in the book of Acts, man traveling on the road to Damascus, or excuse me, on the road of uh, the Ethiopian uh, nobleman and traveling in his chariot, he's reading scripture. The Holy Spirit sends Philip to run alongside the chariot and Philip's running alongside and as he talks to this man, he says, do you understand what you're reading? The man says, how can I unless somebody guides me? Philip gets up in the chariot and note verse 32. Who is the nobleman reading about? He's reading from the passage in Isaiah 53 about this lamb who is a person. He's reading and he says, who is this guy referring to? Is he referring to himself or is he referring to somebody else? I need help understanding about who this lamb is and the lamb is a person. And note what Philip says. Beginning at this passage, he begins to preach to him. Jesus. And as Philip connects the dots, beginning from Isaiah 53, kind of like what we're doing here today, as Philip connects the dots, he starts in Isaiah 53 and begins to preach to this man about Jesus, about all the things that Jesus was to suffer and about all the ways that God has provided this sacrifice by faith and how this, uh, how death is going to pass over if this man understands and obeys the gospel through Jesus. Note this, this is important for us to note as we fly over here. Chapter 8, verse 35, Philip preached to him, Jesus is the Christ, and he very plainly links Isaiah 53 to the cross. But note verse 36, Philip also in preaching the cross and preaching about the Lamb and preaching about Jesus, he very clearly links baptism to Jesus. So much so that this man says, well, I'm ready. Here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? I want to accept this Jesus you're talking about. I want to obey the gospel of Jesus. And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Brothers and sisters, in preaching Jesus, we have to preach baptism because that's what Philip did in the early church. And that's what he was told to do. And so it is preaching what he's done and a belief and understanding and a conscious salvation about the holy lamb of God is necessary for salvation, but from this passage, Jesus being the key, there's baptism that's involved. Passage number next. Leave this is number eight. First Peter one verses eighteen through twenty one. Almost there. First Peter one, 18 through twenty one. Peter is writing here to Christians. He's writing about their salvation. He's writing about the suffering that they're undergoing, uh, particularly, it seems like, under the emperor Nero. And as Peter writes here, uh, he says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition for your fathers, but note this, you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We were bought and we were paid for, not with gold, not with silver, not with any corruptible thing, but we were bought and paid for. God dealt with the problem of sin and death that we couldn't deal with through the precious blood of Jesus, who was without blemish and without spot. I think back to Leviticus chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, don't you? And as he paid for him. The triumph, the victory, look at verse 21, that God raised Jesus, that He is not just the redeeming and cleansing Lamb, but He is also the risen Lamb. He raised Jesus so that we could have our faith and our hope in Him. To be redeemed means to be bought back. You and I were slaves of sin. You and I were sold under sin because of our choice, because of our transgression. But God's bought us back, and he's paid for us by the blood of Jesus. Passage number nine. We're over in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. There is no other book in the New Testament that expands and that really rifts, as we're on this theme of the Lamb, more than the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, as John sees in the throne room of God, Revelation chapter 4, Sitting stage center, this throne and the one who's sitting on the throne and all the creatures and things that are around the throne and all the praises that are due to the one on the throne. Revelation 5 is really where the plot gets interesting because now John focuses on what the one on the throne is holding. There's a scroll sealed with seven seals. God's plan for redeeming mankind. And God is sitting there and 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 there's a voice that cries out and says, Who's worthy to open up the scroll? Who's worthy to loose its seals? And they look in heaven, they look on the earth, they look under the earth. There is not a single one worthy that's able to open up that scroll to the uh, the one who's sitting there on on the throne. So much so that John begins to weep. So much so that John begins to cry like a baby, as it were. And then there's somebody that taps John on the shoulder and says, John, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy to open up the scroll and to loose its seals. And John turns around to see this lion. And John turns around to see this image, and you know what he sees? He sees a lamb. He sees his lamb as though it's slain. Verse 7, the lamb is the one who can open it. And so much so that when the lamb takes the scroll out of the one who's sitting there on the throne, verse 9 says, they sang a new song, saying... You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood that's 1st Peter chapter 1 out of your blood out of every tribe and nation and tongue and people he is the worthy lamb he is the risen lamb and if we turn 2 chapters later to Revelation 7 this is an extra one <laughs> the lamb is mentioned again and how the redeemed have made their robes white by being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. Here's the deal. The power of redemption, the power that God has enabled in us to deal once and for all with the problem of sin and of death through the sacrifice of the Lamb comes through being washed in His blood because He is risen, because He is worthy, Last passage, Revelation 22. We've gone all the way from where the problem enters, Genesis chapter 3, all the way to the very last chapter of the entire Bible. How beautifully Revelation summarizes everything that's been said so far. Revelation 21, you have a picture of the most glorious church that Christ has purchased, the golden street, the walls. You have a picture of heaven, as as many people look at. And the start of Revelation chapter 22 We see the Lamb, stage center, right in the middle, the throne of the Lamb, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Revelation 19 and verse 16, reigning. Everything that we've talked about, everything that we've looked at just in these ten passages, all the way from the very beginning, all the way to this point, can be summarized by what they say in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, lest we miss this point, lest we walk out of here without uh, understanding fully what Mr. Andy was saying this morning, is this, Jesus Christ is the Lamb. He is God's one solution for you to deal with the sin or for you to have salvation from the sin that you have chosen instead of Him. And it is that each one of us are going to stand in accountability before the judgment bar of God and give an account for how we've responded to the message about the Lamb. Because when time is over, when earth is no more, the Lamb is going to be reigning. The Lamb is reigning. And the only question, the focus of your life is going to be, are you on His side? Does He know you? Have you been redeemed by His blood? Are you saved from your sins based upon his sacrifice? That's the paramount question of your life. And if you've never dealt with that, I'm encouraging you, deal with that now. Answer that question now. How do you relate to the Lamb? Because there's coming a time when his wrath is going to be brought down. Let me give you one more passage it back if you're there in Revelation to Revelation chapter 7, or Revelation chapter 6. This is kind of the baker's dozen, I guess, you, even though there were only 10, well, I guess there were 11 points. I don't know. It, it works out. Revelation chapter 6, verse 14. The sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up. Every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The kings of earth. The great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks and the mountains and said to the mountains, And the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, if this were a literal lamb, there wouldn't be much cause for terror, would there? But as he's talking about the risen, the glorified, the reigning Jesus. That begs me to ask the question Am I prepared for that day when Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon those who don't know God and don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1? Or is it whenever the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, I can say, Maranatha, come quickly, I'm ready. I'm ready for the salvation that the Lamb offers. I'm ready to go to my eternal reward where the Lamb is, where He's sitting, where He's reigning, so I can be in His presence always, where I never have to deal with sickness and illness and death and sorrow and pain and all those hurts that we have to deal with in this life. Jesus Christ is the solution for that. The gospel is the good news that you and I have the opportunity to obey. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Mark sixteen sixteen. Have you believed the gospel this morning? Have you obeyed the gospel this morning? Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, you obeyed from that heart that form of doctrine with which you were delivered. What form of doctrine? The doctrine all about the lamb, all about Jesus, all about his sacrifice, his atoning blood that that removes our sins, that cleanses us, that redeems us, that puts us in a right relationship, that sets us in the heavenlies with Christ, uh, Ephesians 1. You need the gospel. I need the gospel. You need the lamb of God. And I need the lamb of God. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.